Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it has the power to change us, Lord God. And, and right now, we take a moment to place ourselves beneath the authority of your word. Lord, we're not going to stand above it as judges or critics, but we're going to place ourselves beneath the authority of your word and acknowledge that it and it alone has the power to change us and shape us. And so we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord God, that the outcome would be of this message, that we become more like you and we see you more clearly. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, I got big time into the Commonwealth Games. I don't know if anyone else did. I got big time into the Commonwealth Games and I was watching it like every hour of every day when I was there. But when I was watching it, I observed an interesting phenomenon. And I wonder if you've observed it too. You'll often play, uh, watch two teams playing one another. And the teams might be pretty evenly matched on skill. They might be pretty evenly matched on speed. They might even be pretty, pretty evenly matched on strength. But one team just out-muscles the other. Have you noticed? Have you ever seen games where actually the teams were pretty evenly matched, but one team goes down by much more because they just let themselves get pushed around a little bit. They just let themselves get out-muscled. And I remember when I played hockey, which I talk about all the time, you knew that this was coming. When I played hockey, uh, we, we, when we became, there was like a group of us, we were 14, 15-year-old, and we all came into kind of the premier age senior grade at the same time. And so we're playing in this senior grade uh, competition, but we're 14 and 15. And the reality was, we were pretty much the same as these other teams on skill. We're basically the same size as them. We probably had them on speed a little bit, but we got thrashed game after game because we just let ourselves be pushed around by people who were just a little bit tougher than us. And so we found that every 50-50 ball, the other team would win. Whenever we went into a tight sort of contention, they would come away with the ball. And the reality was, it wasn't a matter of skill and it wasn't a matter of proficiency. We were just letting ourselves get pushed around. And honestly, it was discouraging. It's discouraging to play in games when you feel like you've got the aptitude to win, but you just don't think you're tough enough to. And so you just get pushed around. And I was thinking about that illustration this week because I was thinking about the fact that sometimes I feel that way about life. I don't know if you've ever felt a little bit pushed around by life. You feel like you should have the skill, you should have the understanding, you should have the strength to kind of make it but you feel like the 50-50 challenges you always seem to concede or you go into obstacles and they leave you feeling off balance and you wonder, why is that? Why is it that I'm being knocked around by life when really as a believer in Jesus Christ, I should have everything that I need to stand on top? You know, I'm always interested in this because I think we need to ask the question, if we're feeling pushed around by life, then who are we letting us push around? Who are we letting ourselves be pushed around by? Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying, look, the reality is that in your time on earth, you're going to have some struggles. You're going to have some battles. But in the midst of that, you need to remember that your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. 
Friend, if you're in this place and you've been saying, man, in life I'm feeling like a little bit pushed around. I'm feeling like I'm not coming out of obstacles on top. You need to ask yourself, who am I letting myself be pushed around by? Am I letting myself be pushed around by an enemy that Christ has already completely conquered on the cross? I remember when we were young, uh, my brother and my sister, I've got a younger brother, older sister, I'm a middle child, no one's surprised. (laughs) You only get a personality like this by being a middle child, you know. But uh, I have a younger brother and older sister, and I think it's the rite of passage of every, like, younger sibling to be slightly afraid of their older sibling, right? It's just a rite of passage. And I remember one time sitting in the back seat, and uh, my sister was here, my brother Luke, he was in the middle, and I was on this side, and my sister just decided to start teasing my brother. And my brother gets increasingly wound up, but in response to the way he's feeling, instead of addressing it with my sister, he turns around and whacks me. That's not fair. I'm like, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with my sister and yet I'm the one being whacked. Let me tell you how you know when you're being pushed around by someone. When you don't have the guts to face up to the one who's doing the pushing. When we're being pushed around by principalities and powers and we turn around and whack flesh and blood. When we're having a spiritual battle but instead we take it out on the earthly one. When we fail to address the real enemy. And so today I wanted to talk about the spiritual authority that you and I have in Christ. And I want to talk about why we let ourselves sometimes be pushed around a little bit. Hear me, if you're feeling pushed around by life, if you feel like you're losing the 50-50 ball, we need to ask ourselves, am I fighting the real battle? You know, we uh, sing this song in our church. It's one of the, our favorites. Don Free praises it all the time. Uh, he, it's that song, Break Every Chain. You guys know that song. I know you know it because you love it, okay? Every time, every time we sing that song, the handometer goes right up in the air. Ten out of tens across the board, you know? And there's a verse that we all as a church particularly get into. It's that verse that goes, there's an army rising up. Yeah, you love that verse. I know you do. We love that verse. We sing it with great gusto. If the hands were up in the, weren't up in the first part, they're up with the, the armies rising up. We love that song. But sometimes when we sing that song, I wonder, I wonder if it's a bit hollow. Because do we really see ourselves as fighters in the army of God? Or do we just see ourselves as followers? See, sometimes I'm pretty good at seeing myself as a follower of Christ, but I trip and stumble when I head into the fighting territory. But you better believe that in this place there's an army rising up in Jesus' name. And so I've been thinking about this. Why, why do I let myself be pushed around? Why do I sometimes settle for being a follower when in fact I'm called to be a fully-fledged fighter in the army of God? And the reality that I needed to confront in my own life, and perhaps you need to confront as yours, is that sometimes I don't really live in the authority that I have as a believer. You know, just this week or a week ago, Joy Hooker and I were talking about King David. And uh, what David was, was a warrior king. There was a call on his life to conquer land and settle territories. We know him as a psalmist, but you've got to know that he was a warrior king. He was a great leader, a great general of armies. He was such a good warrior, actually, that people even sung this catchy song about him. It went like this, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Catchy, huh? It even had a dance to go along with it. 
I would say that it was like the original TikTok, you know. Uh, that wasn't a good joke, sorry. Just wanted to have a go. I've never actually been on TikTok. But he's publicly recognized as a warrior king. He's publicly recognized as a general. And you know what warrior kings do? They draw to themselves mighty men. Have you ever noticed that just as much as there are stories about David, there are chapter after chapter about the valor and the exploits of David's mighty men? Why? Because where there's a warrior king, he draws mighty men and women of valor to himself. This is my challenge for us. I think that if we are failing to raise, rise up as mighty men and women of valor, it's probably because we're stuck at seeing Jesus as a savior king and we don't see him as a warrior king. If we aren't rising up as an army of God, then it's probably because we don't see our savior as a warrior king. I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, I, and I read these incredible stories of Jesus and his time on earth, I find that I'm drawn to stories about his love, drawn to stories about his healing, drawn to stories about his forgiveness and his compassion. And honestly, being honest with you this morning, I gloss over the stories which show him encountering and overcoming the demonic and defeating principalities and powers. I find in my flesh that I'm naturally drawn to the stories which reveal him as Savior King, and I gloss over those which show him as the Warrior King. And if you don't quite relate yet, let me take you to a scripture in Colossians that shows exactly what I mean. Paul speaking, Colossians 2 verse 13 to 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross." Let me explain what Paul's doing here. He is vividly contrasting Jesus via Dolorosa, his way of suffering, which is where Jesus carries his cross through the streets of Jerusalem and up the hill of Calvary. He is vividly contrasting that way of suffering with a Roman triumph. And what a Roman triumph was, was when a Roman general would experience a great military victory, sometimes the emperor would award them what was called a triumph. A triumph was a parade. It was a victory parade, a military procession through the streets of Rome, sometimes culminating in a big building or piece of architecture that the Roman emperor had commissioned on behalf of the general. And let me tell you what happened in this Roman triumph. They would have the prisoners shackled and following, stripped of all their clothing, walking through the streets. It was a spectacle of victory. Paul says, this is what is happening as Jesus goes to the cross. And what I want to know today is why when I look at Jesus going to the cross, I see the way of suffering when Paul sees the way of victory. Why is it that I see Jesus bruised and beaten and paraded through the streets where Paul sees the hordes of hell? Why is it that I see Jesus on display, stripped and mocked, and Paul sees 
the hordes of hell on display, stripped and mocked. Why is it that I see Jesus, the Savior King, in exactly the same place as Paul sees Jesus, the warrior king? And the most obvious answer to that question is that Paul is detailing an invisible reality. What he's writing about is something that is ultimately invisible to the naked eye. It's invisible to the five senses. Jesus being paraded through the streets, that is the visible reality. That's the reality that the eyewitnesses can see, can taste, can hear, can touch. And historically, this visible, invisible thing is something that the people of God have really struggled with. One of the chief issues that the people of God have always found, and this is going back to the Ten Commandments, and Pastor Don preached on this, is that grapple with the fact that all the surrounding nations had a God that was visible through an idol, but Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, was an invisible God. And so much was the issue that the people of God had with this, that it was written into the Ten Commandments to not make a graven image of God. And then it's the first thing they do when Moses is up the mountain for an extended piece of time, they make a golden calf. The people of God have always struggled with this invisible, visible thing. And I would say we struggle with it even more now because when we live in 2022, we are the truly imaged, obsessed society. We furiously curate and put together our image through clothes and makeup and filters and social media platforms and profiles and to prioritize the invisible reality above the seen one, as Paul is doing in the scripture, cuts completely against the current of our society. It is counterculture to do such a thing. But I would go further. I think that there's another, and if anything, possibly deeper objection to why we don't see the way of suffering as the way of triumph like Paul does. And it has to do with the way we view the concept of surrender. The way we view the concept of surrender. It's to do with how we view laying down your life. See, in battle, waving the white flag of surrender is exclusively associated with defeat, isn't it? It's exclusively associated with losing. In life, you surrender when you are powerless when you are too weak to overcome the obstacle in front of you, when you are too weak, that's when you surrender. That's when you lay your life down. Surrender is synonymous with losing. And in contrast, earthly power and authority has everything to do with what you possess. If I possess intelligence, I have a chance of attaining power. If I possess physical strength, I have a chance of attaining power. If I possess key relationships, I have a chance of attaining power. If I'm in possession of great amounts of money, I have a chance of attaining power. If we were to look at countries across the world who we think of as powerful, do you know what they'd be in possession of? They'd be in possession of a big army and a big economy. Because earthly power and authority is all about what you have. It's all about what you possess. If I was to ask you today, what do you think is the most powerful nation in the world? You'd probably name a nation that has nuclear power. Because earthly power and authority 
has everything to do with what you reach out your hand to attain and possess. And yet kingdom authority begins with what you choose to give away. See, this is true all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. What happens? It says that Adam and Eve reach out to attain, to possess the knowledge of good and evil. They reach out to acquire the power to define good and evil for themselves. And in doing so, they begin the fall of humanity. And in contrast, Jesus wins our life back as he gives everything away. Because earthly power has everything to do with what you possess and kingdom authority begins with what you give away. You see, this is the incredible kingdom reality that we need to face up to. When we think of battle power, we think of armies and guns and armor and planes and ships. We think of like Mel Gibson and Aragorn riding in front of massive armies and giving big battle speeches. And yet all it took for our Savior to defeat all the forces of the enemy was two planks of wood. All it took for Jesus to defeat death, hell, and the grave was three nails. All it took for Jesus to redeem us was to give his life away. See, I wonder today if we've framed our thinking about power and victory and authority around the patterns of this world. I wonder if we see positions and titles and strength and image and intelligence and relationships and money as a way to acquire power, authority, and victory. And God says the only way to authority is by giving all that we have away. See, Jesus shows us that true triumph, true victory isn't through that which we acquire and possess. It happens when we give all that away for the cause of Christ. That's what true triumph looks like. It looks like laying down my life for my brother, laying down my life for Christ. The greatest triumph is a life laid down. And when you think about it, nothing could be more countercultural. See, in a society which has turned self into its chief God, that the only way to freedom is to self-create. The only way to freedom is to make yourself the God of your life. The only way to true identity is to base your identity around your feelings in a society which endlessly tells us that you are the God that you serve and you are the God that you bow to. How utterly countercultural and totally triumphant would it be to say instead that this one life I have, I give it away for the cause of Christ. I would go as far to say that that decision would be our greatest triumph, just as it was for Jesus on the cross. In fact, let me push you one step further. You so, so many of us in life, we, we endeavor with all of our ability to acquire crowns and successes and wins. We want to earn more. We want to do more. But I would say that your greatest triumph will always be your invisible one. It will always be where you surrender all of your life for the cause of Christ. It'll be the one, the invisible moment when you kneel in your own garden of Gethsemane, right? Gethsemane, the garden of pressing. When you kneel in your own garden of pressing and you pray, oh God, in my life, not my will, but yours be done. 
Think for a second of Jesus in the garden of pressing, the garden of Gethsemane, in front of no one but sleeping disciples, invisible for the moment to flesh and blood, but on display to the entirety of heaven. Jesus, as his flesh screamed in agony at what he was going to bear, as his body physically responded with tears like blood to the torture which awaited him, Jesus pressed and anguished on every side, kneeling to lay down his life for us. Oh God, if it is your will, let this cup be taken, but not my will, but yours be done. And then, as Paul said, the triumphal procession through the streets of Jerusalem began. I wonder, friend, if you've been to the garden of pressing, I wonder if you've knelt as your flesh screamed at you to go in the other direction, invisible for the moment to man, but on display for all of heaven, and prayed, oh God, in my life, not my will, but yours be done. Because friend, that place, the place of pressing, is actually the place of triumph. It's the starting place for the victory parade. See, spiritual authority for the believer is pretty hard to come by if they haven't had their personal Gethsemane. And actually, Jesus put it this way. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Not the powerful, not the ones with money, not the ones with titles, not the ones with key relationships, not the ones who are after what they can get. Blessed are the meek who lay it all down. For theirs, theirs, they will inherit the earth. You see, in the kingdom, I don't acquire anything until I lay down everything. It's only the meek who put aside self who inherit the earth. Authority begins with surrender. In fact, I would say, that there is no true spiritual authority without true humility. Because this actually is where we circle back to the beginning of this message. See, if you felt pushed around, if you felt like you don't stand in your true authority as a believer, this is the truth that you need to digest. The victory parade through the streets of Jerusalem begins at the Garden of Gethsemane. In the upside-down kingdom, surrender is the beginning of victory and only the meek inherit the earth. In fact, this is what it says in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says they defeated him. Him is the dragon, the accuser, the Satan. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. We tend to stop that scripture there, but it goes on to say this, and that they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. It says that you and I live overcoming lives. We live overcoming victorious lives by the blood of the Lamb, the work that Christ did on the cross, the word of our testimony. Our testimony is the proclaimed gospel of Christ. And because we did not love our lives so much that we were afraid to lay them down for the cause of Christ. You see, when the people of God stand under the blood, in the power of gospel, and selflessly surrender self-effort and self-glory for the cause of Christ, it is then that we stand in victory. It's there that the victory parade begins. See, the reality is that, that surrender is the beginning of victory, that laying down your life is where authority begins. You see, listen, if Christ is all I possess, 
then nothing but Christ can possess me. If Christ is all I possess, then nothing but Christ can be in possession of me. Nothing can compel me or sway me or push me around. No ideology, no worldly philosophy, no battle of the flesh, no force of hell, no principality of power. If Christ is all I possess, then nothing but Christ can be in possession of me. See, this is where we begin to see the truth of what Jesus did. And this is where I want to finish. Because in many respects, this is a hard word, right? Because it's talking about the laying down of self. This is where I want to circle back around to our Savior, Warrior King. The reality is in this place that actually it's a joy to lay down my life for a Savior. Because in Jesus, we find the one who has laid down more than anyone. There is no one who has sacrificed as much. And so no one, no one, No one receives a greater triumph. And this is what it says in Philippians. It talks of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And so therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one has sacrificed more than our warrior king. And so no one is more deserving of greater triumph. No one has laid down more than Jesus. And so no one is exalted more. He is the true warrior king. The cross is the one emblem that we gather around. We don't lay down our lives for nothing. We lay them down for Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who shows us the way. If the team would like to come, I'm going to finish today by simply giving an altar call. If you're in this place and you're saying, listen, today, this day, I need to lay down the entirety of my life for the cause of Christ. Friend, that is the truest victory that you will ever walk in. That place of surrender is the beginning of spiritual authority. But more than that, I'm not asking you to respond to a need. I'm asking you to respond to Jesus the Jesus who laid down everything for us, the Jesus who went to a cross for you and for me. Today, we don't lay down our lives because we think it's a good thing to do. We lay them down for the person of Jesus. And so with every guy closed and every head bowed, if you're in this place and you need to make that decision today, you're saying today actually is the day that I need to surrender all for the cause of Christ. Today is the day when I need to lay everything down for the Savior who laid down everything for me, I'm going to give you an opportunity. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of that, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Awesome. Thank you, God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else who needs to make that decision today? If you raise your hand, thank you, God bless you, I see that too. If you raise your hand, you can put it back down. There are those of you here today, and I I feel that um, we're going to just stay in this moment for a little more because I feel that there's some of you here 
And perhaps you're beginning to face up to what I would call a, like a partial surrender. You're, you're saying, God, I, I see now that I gave you some of my life, but today actually I want to give you all. This is one of those spaces which is free of judgment. And if you're in this place and you're saying, I made a partial surrender before, but I want to make a full surrender to Jesus now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And so if you're from this place and you're saying, man, maybe I gave God bits and pieces, but today I want to give Jesus everything, I'm going to count to three and give you another opportunity. One, two, three. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else in this place? Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, church, that's so good. Thank you. Repeat after me, church. Say this. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and thank oh, Praise God for every single decision that was made for Christ this morning. Thank you, Pastor Haley, uh, for that incredible word. But hey, if you did make that decision this morning, if you said yes to Jesus, if you committed your life to him this morning, can I encourage you, a practical step that you can take right now is grab that Orange Connect card in front of you. You can fill out your details, tick that box that says, I'm recommitting or committing my life to Christ. And what we'd love to do is out in the foyer, straight after the service, we have a team out in our foyer who would love to stand with you uh, and just continue to help you uh, choose your next steps in God to help support you in the decision you made. In fact, if you give them your Connect card uh, and they can help you fill that out as well, they'll get a Bible into your hand and just celebrate with you and pray with you this morning. But can I say, if you did make that decision, welcome home. Come on, friend, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make in your lifetime. Come on, all of heaven rejoices over you coming home to the Father. So one more time, church, we don't undersell this. We don't, come on, we don't go on about this. This is a great privilege and a great honor to see people come back into the kingdom of God. So one more time, can we put our hands together and celebrate every single decision that was made for Christ today? Awesome. Hey, well, I'm going to give you some notices. That's the best place to go straight after one of those moments. Uh, but I want to give you some notices. Firstly, uh, friend, if your next step is baptism, if you want to continue to say yes to Jesus and you want to outwork that uh, through the waters of baptism and an outward sign of an inward happening, hey, at 10.15 today, straight over in the dining room, uh, you can head on over there uh, or you can fill out a Connect card or come see one of our team and we'll direct you over there. But we have a baptism class happening because next week uh, we have baptisms happening uh, during our service, uh, during the in between our services, right, Jake? Or after the service. One of those, he'll let you know over there, all right? Uh, but you can go ahead and do that. Otherwise, grab that orange Connect card again, like I keep saying, fill that out and pop those into the Connect box as well. Uh, one more thing is, if you're not a part of a small group, listen, small groups are how we care for one another as a church. Small groups are how we grow. Small groups are how we do community. Small groups are how we stay connected. Small groups, uh, small groups are what God has uh, created us for. He's created us for community. If you're not a part of that, can I encourage you, be a part of it. Come on, small groups are growing. Small groups are going off. Uh, you can go to the back. There's some pamphlets at the back with a bunch of the small groups that happen within the week, but also you can fill out that Connect card again. Because, you know, connect card, your best friend. Grab it, fill it out, pop it in. Awesome. Uh, one more thing tonight, as Pastor Haley mentioned, we have our revival night, 5 p.m. here in the chapel. Uh, it's going to be an incredible night. Can I encourage you? Last week it was about community. This week, can we make it about going out, reaching out to people and bringing them into the house of God? 
Come on, we're believing for breakthrough. We're believing for people to come to know Jesus. We've got a, a bunch of people from within our church that are going to be ministering tonight. Uh, we have the incredible uh, Rhea Van Ruyen that's going to be doing prophetic art tonight. Uh, we've got some God thoughts that you can uh, pin out with God and just listen to Him. And we have the incredible Julie Mundy, I believe, that is preaching and bringing the Word tonight, which is going to be incredible, all right? So you don't want to miss it. Bring someone, invite someone, invite your neighbors, whoever, just bring them along. Uh, one more thing that will get you excited coffee. All right, straight after this, all right, coffee, straight after this, free coffee in the cafe. Come connect with us. Come um, build relationship, build community with one another uh, as we go over there for free coffee. Free coffee. How good. Awesome. All right, we're going to come around our time of giving. And you know, I was thinking about this this, this week is um, I was thinking about our movement, Elam Christian Center, and how God birthed the vision. And Pastor Luke, our founding pastor, he invested in the vision that God gave him. Can I encourage you this morning that as we give, we're not just giving to see lights turned on or fans going or windows open. Come on, we're giving to something bigger than that. Pastor Luke started with a vision to see a church with a school. And from that vision that he invested in, we're now one church that meets across multiple locations, multiple schools, big, uh, heaps of properties and buildings that we get to advance the kingdom of God through. As you give this morning, church, I want to encourage you, you're giving to something, you're giving to a movement. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve a God who believes in generations. And so that's what we're giving to this morning. So why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning that as we give, Lord, we're partnering with heaven. We're partnering with what you're doing on earth as it is in heaven. God, we're partnering with the vision to see our community and this nation reach, served, and influenced for the hope of your name, for the hope of Jesus Christ. And so God, as we give, we give cheerfully and not under compulsion or reluctance. But God, we give knowing that it's an act of worship and service to you, oh God. And so Father, we give believing that as we invest, God, we would see generations to come to Christ. In Jesus' my name. Anyone said? Amen.